0: Uh, I haven't had this for a while up here, but I'm going to start off by talking about the weird meter. Uh, you may have been here with some with Exodus uh, before, and sometimes things show up in the stories of the Bible that cause kind of this weird meter reaction. Now, this is not, uh, if we're, we don't use PowerPoint anymore, but if you if you do, that could have animation and the needle goes wild and stuff like that, which is really kind of cool, but it's not. So now if the needle starts moving now, then something really weird is happening, Okay. So uh, the weird meter, it's like those times when you're in a church service or something and, and you read a story and it's like, oh, come on, that couldn't really happen. I mean, it's, uh, there's certain movies I like, to, um, I like to watch movies, and there's certain times when a movie hits that, oh, come on, that's not even close to reality. I mean, most movies are that way. The very last Indiana Jones movie was that way. It's like, come on, aliens, come on, I can handle the Nazis and stuff like that. Other things cause, cause weird meter reactions. The other, the other night, my... Uh, my son's on the football team at South, and the, as a team was coming in Friday night, and my wife had never seen this before, the guys are lined up two by two, and they're holding hands, all right, holding hands. She's like, what? Why are these guys, I mean, football players, shoulder pads, helmets, and they're holding hands, guys? She's like, that's weird. She had a weird meter. right now. Those of us who have played football are like, well, that's just football, you know. We never touch each other any other place, but you hold hands in football, you slap people in the rear end in football, but you can't get away with that in real life kind of thing. Um, But there's times, there are things in the Bible, there are things as followers of Jesus, things that happen and things we believe will happen and can happen that will send some of us into a weird media reaction, and that's okay. Part of what we need to figure out is how do we help the weird become normal? Because we do believe the invisible world is real. We believe there's things happening Even as we speak around us, we don't fully understand. We believe things can happen that have no human explanation, none. And we're going to look at a story today that uh, talks about that. And I think a lot of you will relate to some of the issues going on in this particular story. We've been talking the last few weeks about worship. And the whole idea of what is it why do we sing in church? why do we sing period? When we sing, is it just guitars and drum vibrations and our vocal cords vibrating and bouncing off ceiling tile, or is something else going on when we sing as a corporate whole, or when you or I sing by yourself in the car in the shower or whatever, when it's singing songs to God about God? Is there something else going on now, today's the last week I've doing just three weeks uh, on worship. And next week, uh, we're going to start a good number of weeks in the book of Revelation. And I'll give you a little heads up. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. It's not about uh, guns and bombs and numbers and tattoos and all kinds of other things. It's about Jesus. And it's actually quite a fascinating book. It's the revelation of Jesus. And what does it mean to be the kind of people that Jesus will reveal himself to? All right? So that starts next week, Revelation. But today we're going to go to uh, the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a story that I think is fascinating. And I'll say this up front too, a large reason why I came back to Bloomington. If you're, if you're new at Exodus, this is a church that my wife and I started 8 or 9, 10, I don't know how many years ago. And the themes and the ideas from this particular story were a large part of what I felt God motivated us to come back and do this for. So 2nd uh, Chronicles, uh, it's an Old Testament book. Chronicles, it's kind of like a word you hear in other historical, you know, the, the chronicles of the British nation, or the chronicles of this. So the book of Chronicles, or the First Chronicles and the Second Chronicles, is it chronicles the history of the Jewish people. All right, so if you don't know much about the Bible... That's what it is. It's 1 Chronicles, 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 from beginning with Adam and goes through. And then it's mostly about King Saul and King David. All right? So it chronicles that history kind of in a chronological order. 2 Chronicles, King Solomon, who was David's son, and all the kings that followed that. All right? So if you don't know much about the Bible, the Chronicles are essentially some of the more chronological historical Uh, Accounts of the the history of the Jewish people, all right? Okay, now, here's where we jump in. 2 Chronicles 20, and we'll explain some of the context here in a second. After that, we're jumping right in the middle of the story, but again, I'll explain the context. The armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. He was a king. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you and from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. That was another name for En-Gedi. All right, map. All right. Modern day Israel is on the left here. And you'll see it says on the north, there's, there's the kingdom of Israel. And the bottom is the kingdom of Judah. Because the kingdom, Israel was split into two. They had civil war. They had the northern and a southern kingdom. All right, Jehoshaphat is the king of the south, the Jude and Judah. Those three arrows are the three countries that had teamed up to go to war against Jehoshaphat. All right. Jehoshaphat, uh Jehoshaphat, uh, and they and they're teamed up. And here's, let me just, a little more context There, If you know Bible history, Saul was the first king, then David, then Solomon. There was civil war. So then we have kings of the north and kings of the south. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. So Jehoshaphat is actually what? The great, great, great grandson of David. All right. All right. So that's the context there. What was happening was Jehoshaphat was a good king. We read, a lot of times you read in the Bible, there's some really good kings and really the Bible calls them wicked kings. Jehoshaphat, like a lot of us, did his best in understanding what it meant to follow God. He got rid of idols in the land. He got the people to study the Bible, what was then the Bible, the old, the Pentateuch. He was a, he had really good heart and good intentions. And for the most part, God was very pleased with Jehoshaphat's life, all right? Again, that's probably the story of a lot of your lives here. Yeah, he made some mistakes or some things he did that, you know, God challenged him on. But for the most part, he was really trying to do whatever God asked him to do. And he was a good king. But in this case, all of a sudden he finds out he's getting teamed up on by three different countries. We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened or why they're coming against him. Um, Probably for just greed or whatever. And Jehoshaphat, Finds out that these three countries, these three kings were teaming up against him. All right? Story continues. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. He was a king, he was powerful, a warrior, had armies at his disposal, had won battles, but he's terrified at this news that he hears. And he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. This is a big deal. Something, he, we don't know the numbers, but my sense is, since Jehoshaphat knew, he knew what was coming against him was almost sure defeat. Not just defeat, I mean annihilation. I mean, terrified is a pretty strong word. He wasn't just mildly concerned. He was terrified. Because what was coming against him was overwhelming. And what he was facing was overwhelming. Not unlike some of you have, are, or will face in life. Overwhelming opposition. Overwhelming attack. And he calls on the people to fast, not to win points with God, but to help be open. God, what do you want to say to us? Josaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem, in front of the new courtyard of the Temple of the Lord. All right, go to the next one. He prayed, and this is where he—you know the, all these people gathered, and he's like, again. Uh, You've seen, seen the movie Braveheart, and you know some of that music they have when the British Army's, you know, you know uh, marching against them, like, bum, 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 and all this kind of... So you feel this terror approaching, and you've seen other, whether it's, you know, Lord of the Rings, those movies, when these vast armies are marching, and you're watching it even on the movie screen, you feel a little bit like, wow, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be on the other side of that army. So Jehoshaphat does what he knows to do, and he prays. Oh, Lord God of our ancestors. And let me say this too. He's terrified right now, okay? He is not going to be speaking with a religious voice. He's not going to be saying, Oh, Lord God of our ancestors. And I'm saying that because that's how a lot of us, You alone are the Lord. I mean, he's probably, his voice is probably cracking. Oh, God, you alone are the Lord. You got to help us. I mean, when when you're terrified, you don't go to religious sounding language. And some of us were brought up in churches, and even when, our own, when, we, when we were asked to pray out loud, we think we have to kind of get this King James English accent, you know, Liam Neeson voice, because God only hears it if you talk that way. But he's probably, I mean, he say, it says he's crying out to God. So he's probably, you're the ruler of all the kingdom of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. I mean, he has to yell so all the people can hear him. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give the land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? He's reminding God of his promises. I mean, think of the things he's promised us. In our, he's promised us joy. He's promised us hope. He's promised us power. He's promised us strength. And sometimes we don't get that, so how, do we have to remind God? Next slide. He's continuing his praying. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. And they said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. I mean, cry out's a strong word. That almost feels weird to us even to say we should pray that way, crying out. It's emotional. He's terrified. All right. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as our inheritance. O oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army. This is a king. Just think how, how hard it is for a king and humbling to say, powerless, I'm powerless. Well, I'm powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do but we're looking to you for help. I love this last line. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. My guess is some of you have situations right now in your life that you would say, I I don't know what to do. And you might say it with some degree of emotion. Now, there's different kinds of ways we don't know things. For so those of you who are students and the rest of us who have been, you might be taking a test sometime in the near future and you have a problem that you don't know what to do on a certain problem. That's most likely your fault for not studying, right? So there's, there's, the, there's the we do not know what to do that comes out of ignorance. I just, I don't know, I didn't really study the Pythagorean theorem or why, you know, why Columbus sailed. I don't know, I don't know what to do on this problem, so I'll make it up hope the professor won't know. So there's, there's the, we don't know what to do that comes from ignorance. Or like in my case, when I'm trying to fix something in my car that's broken, I I usually, I don't know what to do. And in my case, I just hope if I don't do anything, the problem goes away, but it never happens that way. Right? So there's certain kind of, we don't know what to do that's caused by ignorance. Then there's also, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do that's caused by my own indecision. Some of you may be in a, dating relationship right now and you don't know what to do. Do you break up? Do you not break up? Some of you have big financial choices. Do you, break, do, you do this or not? And sometimes there's a, I don't know what to do That's simply just it's an indecisiveness that has some degree of just human decisions to be made. But there are those things in life, many more than what we, we really understand, I think, where we're faced with and we really don't know what to do. There is no human solution. I can think of, I can think of times in my life um, where I've had financial issue and I've shared before and I, I'm going to share this again. I've had times in my life before I was married where I had incredible struggle with pornography and I could not figure out the human solution how to get out of that problem. I did not know what to do. Somebody could say, well, just stop this. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have those same issues. I don't know what to do. Some of you may have some relational crisis right now in your life. You may have some other kind, and you're simply just like, I don't know what to do. It's like 15, you know, pieces of string all tied together in a big knot, and your job is to unknot them all. And you're like, I I don't know what to do. I mean, even as I'm looking across here, I see faces of people, I know your story, and I know that you, like me, have things, things in your life right now that you're like, I don't know what to do. And it's not the I don't know what to do as a resignation, but like Joseph here, he's basically acknowledging, God, I don't know what to do, but God, you gotta help me here. Now, don't try that on a test this week, please. In the middle of class, I don't know what to do, help me here, I mean, God, does, and that's a different situation. And there's some times where we've kind of dug our own holes and then we want God to kind of get us out and then we make promises we never intend to keep. That's the whole different thing. I'm talking about legitimate times where you really are trying, I I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. And what are those things for you? See, because there are things, there have to be things, and we know there are things that only God can do. And I was just telling my wife, you know, I was just telling her a couple days ago, and I I can't remember exactly why we got into this conversation, but I said, you know, we didn't come back to Bloomington to start a church just to do church and religious stuff every week. We came back because we wanted to cultivate in ourselves and others a sense of what it really means to rely on God and trust him. And really, in a sense, to cry out to God. People who are humble but strong enough... Because humility takes incredible strength. Humble but strong enough to say, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do, but in this case I don't know what to do. People who believe that the invisible world is real and that somehow God wants to do something, and we just need to be willing to do whatever He asks us to do. And what if you get a group of people like that, you change the town. you change a community, you change the neighborhoods. When people literally say to God, you tell me what to do. I'm looking to you for help. And, and instead of what we often do is try to figure out how to solve it ourselves. All right. Um, now, next slide. The story kind of goes on here. What happens next? I'm not going to read it. You can read 2 Chronicles 20 on your own. What happens next is he gathers all the people together. They fasted. He's prayed. And they're all all men, women, and children are all standing in this big crowd. And then it says that the spirit of the Lord came on one man named Jehaziel. And even that's a weird meter kind of moment. The spirit of the Lord came on. What is that? Well, somehow he had this strong impression that God wanted to say something to the rest of the community. And he basically encouraged, I think he said, I think God's saying to us, don't be afraid. We won't even have to fight. And people are probably thinking, not to fight, there's an army. I mean, I didn't mention this. The army was like, 18 miles away. So he has this, and and Jehoshaphat's like, yes, that's what God's saying to us. We don't need to be afraid. And again, think of the situation in your life that you're facing or have faced or are facing. And you're thinking, not afraid. I mean, there's no human way out of this solution. And so then Jehoshaphat gathers people together and says, hey, we're going to go out tomorrow toward the battlefield. And there's no battle strategy yet. They've already kind of acknowledged, hey, this is like overwhelming odds. There's no way we can win this thing, humanly speaking. All right, and here's what happens next. Josaphat, after this prophecy happened, he bows his face to the ground because he acknowledges what God just said about not being afraid was from him. So here this king of all the nation humbles himself by getting on the ground on his forehead to to worship God. And it said, the people of the Judah and Jerusalem fell down and they all worshiped before the Lord. Some of the Levites stood up and praised the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. So they're getting ready to go into this un- impossible kind of battle situation. And they worship. I mean, this king's down on his face. People are down on their face. People are shouting praise to God. And I wouldn't doubt there might have been a few among their number thinking, what, "What are we doing? Let's get ready for battle. Where's my sword?" But overarchingly, there was an overarching trust of God. We're going to praise God right now. Okay. Next. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa toward you know toward the the bad guys. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. A little bit of a pep talk, you know, before they go out of the tunnel into the game. More than a pep talk. He's basically saying, God's going to do something today for us. Next one. After consulting the people, this this is the passage, part of the passage just it, it, as my mom would say, it tickles me, all right? After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Wait a minute. We're the choir. We sing songs. You want us to do what? No, you got, you're going to go first. And the Bible even says they had all their regalia on, so they had their you know, church robes on or whatever they wore. They had all their kind of singer regalia on. And Jehoshaphat, being responsive to his sense of what God's been saying, consulting with people, and he says, okay, um, I know. We can see the enemy, you know, we see them in the distance, kind of, you know, the dirt rising from their singers. You go first. That is crazy, Right? I mean, this is this is this is historic. This is the Bible. This is not some fairy tale book. And they sing, "Give thanks to the Lord, His faithful love endures forever." Give thanks to the Lord, His faithful love endures forever. And my guess, if I'm in that choir or you're in that choir with me, and we're especially if we're in the front row, we're singing with all our might because we don't know the emotions are so intense. <laughs> because we know if God doesn't pull through of us through for us, we are dead. All right, here's what happens next. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. And the passage continues, and they basically obliterated themselves. Um, And when the Israelites, when the, 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 the army of Jehoshaphat and God's people got there, every single soldier of the opposing force was dead. Okay, a little bit of a weird meter moment, right? I mean, it's kind of one of those times you're like, oh, th- did somebody just kind of make that part up? Because that's, that's really weird. Like they start singing, you know, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then at that very moment, you know, it's kind of like, I'd love for a Hollywood guy to do something with this or gal. At that very moment, that's the phrase I want to look at here. At the very moment, they begin to sing. What was the first song we sang today?
1: Hosanna!
0: Hosanna. All right, gonna start with praises rising. Right? Okay. At the very moment we started to sing, did something start happening? Anything? I mean, other than you're kind of getting your voice woken up, and you hear noise, and people are singing. Somebody behind you is off key. Somebody, my wife, literally, she nudged me and said, "You're singing too loud." Okay, which she tells me that like once a week, and I do. Um, <laughs> You know, those kind of things are happening. But is something else happening? Is there anything else going on on this place of land in Bloomington, Indiana? Is there anything going on in the world we can't see when we started singing this morning? And this is one of other situations in the Bible where this kind of thing's happened. It seems like even last week we talked about a passage where at the moment... Solomon stopped praying, something, God did this incredible f- glory filling the temple and fire coming down from heaven. See, because when we, when we sing, when you worship, when you open yourself up to God, God begins to act. and begins to do something. There's times, and I mentioned this last week, but there's been times where I've been faced with, you know, different kind of dilemmas or things like that. And I've tried to think, okay. And I really sense that God's saying, I want you to sing right now in my car or whatever. I don't do that when I'm out in public. I don't walk on the sidewalk. Or like I said, don't try to do that in a test situation. Don't start singing because they'll, you know, the professor will probably kick you out. But are there times when your worship and praise actually unleashes something of God? And that's why when we sing in Exodus, I, I, I continue to say to people, I value the worship of more than preaching it's all worship but I think the musical worship and that's why it's important to me because I think it's important to God that everybody sing because we are all the choir and when we sing I believe God does something I mean there's been a number of situations in the last few weeks where I've actually again I've said to my wife you know I, I have no idea what to do in that situation And it's not ignorance on my part. It's not indecision. It's just I see no human way out of this situation. And so what do you do? Do you say... I'm not... Do you sing? Do you pray? What do you do? And there's been times where I have, I thought, you know, as weird as it feels, I'll get in my car and I'll drive and I'll, and I'll put in the very album, Matt, we were was talking about the Matt Redman album or some other worship album and I'll just sing along, even though everything in my being is saying, solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem, fix it, fix it, here's what, you, I just like, you know what, I just need some time just to kind of open myself to God and maybe God will show some way out of this situation because when we sing, something begins to happen. Absolutely. We don't know how. We don't know exactly what goes on or what. But something in our singing catalyzes the action of God. Let's do this. I want everybody to close your eyes. And I'm thinking. I haven't fallen asleep. Don't worry. I'm, I'm guessing with a pretty good degree of accuracy that there are people here this morning that you are facing a situation um, that you would say you feel a whole lot. You can you you get what Jehoshaphat was feeling. You get the sense of feeling some degree of terrified. And some degree of, I I really, really don't know what to do. And as far as you know, your heart has been good toward God and you're doing whatever you can do to follow God, just like Josaphat does, but you're still faced with a situation like that. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. Everybody else keep your eyes closed. I'm just going to ask you to stand just because I want you to acknowledge before God. um, And this is a situation or you're facing, you do not know what to do. All right? And even those of you who are standing, please understand the rest of us that in our past or probably in the future will also stand. But right now, some of you feel a strong kinship with Josaphat. And right now, in your standing, You're also expressing a partnership with Jehoshaphat and saying to God, "I, I really don't know what to do. And we're looking for you, God, to intervene, to help. Because God, you promised us. You promised me and every person here. You promised us joy. You promised us Strength. You promised us endurance. You promised us to be people of goodness. You promised that our joy would supersede any situation that happens in our life. You didn't promise to give us smooth, easy lives, but you promised us joy. You promised us wisdom when we ask you. You promised us insight when we cry out to you. You promised us contentment and peace when the world around us in the circumstances around us would say anything but peace. You promised us that, God. You did. And I'm asking and we're asking on behalf of these people that are standing that you do what you've promised and that you give wisdom to those of us who ask you. You give courage to those of us who ask you. You give a spirit of forgiveness when we know that we need that and we don't know how we're going to get that toward people. But God, you promised that to us. Now, the rest of you that are just sitting down, keep your eyes closed. And this is not like some orchestrated moment. It's just something I sense God wanting us to do. We're just, I'm going to lead the rest of us in just singing uh, an easy chorus. You don't even need the words on the screen. It's just God is so good. Um, all right? And when you sing, I want you to, you're the choir, and you're going in front, all of us the choir, but those who are sitting down, I want you to go, we're going to sing, and we're going ahead, and we're asking God to begin to do some work in the lives of these people who are standing, all right? So those of you who are sitting, those who are standing, stay standing, those who are sitting, just sing with me.
1: God is so good, God is so good. God is so good, he's so good to me. Let's sing it, you are. You are so good. A little bit louder. You are so good. Come on, lead the army. You are so good, you're so good to me. Oh, come, let us adore Him! Oh, come, let us adore Him! Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord!
0: Jesus, we uh, we sing to you. And in doing so, we ask you to work on the behalf of your people. Not only those who are standing, and those who are standing, you can go ahead and sit down. Not only those who are standing, but all of us. Because we need you, we need you, every hour we need you. And God, would you, would you cultivate in us uh, just that hunger to know you, and not just to know you, but to trust you in that all-out way that Jehoshaphat did. And would we become people who worship not for the sake of just musical preliminaries, but we worship because uh, we know that begins to move you in ways we don't fully understand, but it moves you on our behalf, and we're grateful. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. What we uh, conclude every Sunday at Exodus.